from Birmingham, Alabama. You're listening to the Flat Picking Pilgrim's Progress. I'm your host, Gary Furr, and I'm so glad to have you with me today. Whether you're sitting in your favorite chair or riding along in the car, I'm glad we're going to get to spend this time together. Welcome to the Flat Pickin' Pilgrim's Progress, and today we'll talk a little bit about healing. I've uh, just had quite an experience this week of suddenly having my vision in one eye go off, and we are so fortunate in this town to have the Callahan Eye Clinic with some of the best eye surgeons you'll find anywhere in the world. I went down to the uh, emergency room and filled out paperwork, got looked at, sent the next day to um, a retina clinic, and they sent me straight on and got surgery done that afternoon. They worked me in and uh, probably saved my left eye. I had a detached retina and had a wonderful doctor and great care. Uh, made me so thankful. I know Healthcare can be a hassle sometimes, and uh, you know you fill out that form, and I've got so many things on there that after I finish checking everything off and turning back in, I I feel sicker than when I walked in. But mostly, I was just incredibly grateful, and I often have said this and prayed this with people as I've gone to see them in the hospital or when they are facing a crisis. I have said. We are fortunate to live in a time when there are people gifted to do every day routinely what Jesus did miraculously. And I think back to the story of Jesus and all the healing that went on then. And today I want to mention a story that's found in the first gospel of Mark, the verses 40 to 45, where a man who is called a leper comes and begs him to heal him and make him clean. And Jesus is moved with compassion and stretches out his hand and touches the man and said, I do choose, be clean. And it left him. And Jesus told him not to tell anybody about it, but go show himself, you know, follow the religious rituals to show the priest and offer an offering and all that sort of thing. But he went right out and told everybody and people came from everywhere. It was a big deal. And in that time, leprosy was not exactly the same thing. It may have included what we think of as lepers, but they had all sorts of skin diseases that terrified people in the first century, Um, and they sort of lumped them all into a category, I think. But I tell that story to bring up something that is universal about being sick. It is an isolation from all who consider themselves well. When I went into the ER, uh, I was worried that my life might change. I can operate with one eye. I found out to my delight that in Alabama it is legal to drive with only one good eye. And when they told me that, I said, that makes sense from what I see out on the highways. But the truth is, when you face a major health problem, 
It is a kind of premonition of death, and it has a sense of separation. We are suddenly withdrawn from the ranks of those who are fully healthy. Jesus healed in every testimony about his life and ministry on the earth. It's, it's astounding to me that we don't think about this more often. We're too busy arguing about theology, I guess, getting our groups lined up right. But Jesus was a wonder worker. And we have to grasp the significance of those healings. Everything in his life fed a larger purpose. One of the great New Testament scholars of our time, Tom Wright, has said that we better understand the healings of Jesus if we understand them as parallel to his fellowship with people who were considered sinners. In that day, sick people were considered unclean. There were all these prescriptions for what they had to do to return to full belonging as an Israelite, and somebody who had a physical defect was blemished, not able to really belong. And some of this was misunderstanding the origins of illness and disease and how genetics works. But as we've come to see more and more where it comes from, we can also have greater sympathy with these folks. People don't get sick because they did something wrong. Sometimes we get sick because of bad habits and choices. But the truth is, a lot of times it just comes to us. And in a society back then where belonging was everything, it was life itself. To be excluded was to be cut off from life and community, even God. And the people who were labeled lepers had it the worst. It still carries that connotation today. That disease of the skin was so horrifying they were not only ritually unclean but socially ostracized. They were required to cry unclean and warn everybody ahead of them so they could avoid having contact with them. Virtually the whole of chapter 13 of Leviticus is absorbed with the problem of diagnosing it and what to do about it once you had it. So in a time with very few medicines, uh, disease was taken very seriously and isolation was a way to protect the community against something fearful and unknown. But I would say after 2020 and the two years that followed when we had a global pandemic, we may understand a little better. The worst part of the pandemic to me was not just death and disease, as bad as they were, but this incredible isolation and the erosion of our social connections with one another. And that damage still lives among us in distrust and fear. Uh, people who are mentally uh, not well, having been isolated, have been deepened in their sense of disconnect from the rest of us. Isolation kills. Philip Yancey is a wonderful writer, and he co-authored some books about pain with Dr. Paul Brand, a leprosy specialist. He interviewed Dr. Brand and learned that leprosy, though outwardly disfiguring, doesn't cause pain in the early stages of the disease. In fact, he said a leper could step on a nail or put their hand on a red-hot stove and literally burn their flesh off without feeling anything because the disease destroys their nerve cells that warn them of danger. They lose all sensitivity to something that can kill them. So they feel no pain, but they suffer terribly. And in not so ancient times, these people were separated into leper colonies. 
And that suffering is not just physical, it is spiritual and social. The suffering of rejection and disconnection from other people. Dr. Brand told of a young man he treated in India, and he laid his hand on his shoulder and said through the translator what they were going to do to treat him, and the man began to sob uncontrollably. And he asked the translator to ask him, did I do something wrong? And she asked him and then said, no, doctor, he's crying because you put your hand on his shoulder. Until he came here, no one had touched him for many years. For Jesus to heal the man, he had to touch him. He risked a ceremonial uncleanness in his culture to do the will of God, but in that touch, there was also a welcome. Here was a man who hadn't seen family or friend living in the wilderness, watching fellow human beings run from him in terror in request of Jesus to be made whole again. It must have been agony, and Jesus said by that touch, you're one of us again. Sometimes we say, Maybe when we come back around, folks, and we've been sick for a while, well, I'm back in the land of the living. That's literally kind of true. Many years ago, I saw an interesting story, and I went back and checked this again. It is a true story. It was in the Birmingham News. Not a headline. It was just a picture of human body parts, kind of like disguises. There was an eyeball staring out at me, and that hooked me, so it was just a piece of a face, an eye and the skin right around it, but that eye was as real as anything I'd looked at, and the story was about a man named Robert Barron. Robert Barron spent the first half of his life in the CIA. He was an artist, a commercial art major, originally wanted to work for Hallmark, but he enlisted in the Marines and got a job as an illustrator for military magazines at the Pentagon. One day he got upset because his parking space was so far from the building, so he forged a perfect replica of a general's pass and started parking next to the building. Somebody turned him in, of course, and at the trial, even the judge complimented him on the quality of his forgery. Two weeks later, the CIA called, and he found a career employing his gifts in the service of disguises and deceit. At first, he forged documents for agents and then moved up to disguises and started making silicone masks that surpassed anything Hollywood ever did. He could make uh, uh, a guy from the Midwest look Chinese with a mask so realistic that the agent could walk right past a Chinese border guard in bright sunlight undetected. He was at the top of his craft, but he said something was missing and he wanted something more for his life. So one day at... He was at a biomedical sculptor's conference. He saw slides of people who were horribly disfigured, and suddenly a light went on. He decided, instead of going to Hollywood, that when he retired, he would spend his life helping people who were burned, people whose faces were crushed in accidents or collapsed by cancer. And so he said in the article, I guess the good Lord saved me all along so he could use me to help others. He was saving lives in the CIA, but... Now it was in the service of welcoming people who felt ostracized and excluded, lost and alone, to be welcomed back in. That's kind of what was going on in this little story that I told you. This work of inclusion is not some shallow political slogan. It is the work of the eternal God, reaching out, touching, embracing the other, the unloved, the unwanted, caring for the forgotten. Healing is not just about biological health. 
it's about salvation. To be saved is to be made well, to be brought into right relationship again, into health and into community with God and other people. It's to be made whole. For the disease that most of the religions call sin, most of all, it ravages our sense of community and causes us to be alienated from one another. It's not just that when you're sick, you have to be away from everybody, but you literally are cut off. There's a leprosy of soul and spirit as well as the body. And so uh, to be cut off like that is to be wandering in a spiritual wilderness. And here's a clue for all of us. That in these times when we have gone through hibernating in buildings and huddling from each other, and now we still really haven't recovered, uh, we see that we are divided in so many ways and finding ways to continue the terrible blemish of isolation and alienation. Uh, I know in my own Christian church, the Churches of America, we are killing the gospel with intramural divisions and shallow political idolatries while the world around us is sick and dying for reunion, invitation, acknowledgement that we are loved and that we belong. And I'll tell you what you can do. Just go out and find the kid that nobody sits with at school or the neighbor who has no friend or the woman caught in a situation of violence who can't tell anyone. And when you find a way to reach out to that person where they are not alone, you are doing the work of God. Every day in hospitals, the reassurance of people who go into a patient room and say, there's something we can do, suddenly lifts that terrible weight it's scary, but it puts you in this unknown place where you feel like you're doing things that really matter. I've been involved since about oh, 2017 or 18. Uh, we started a 501c3 called the Alabama Coalition for Healthy Mothers and Children. And it started with... Uh, a luncheon at uh, Samford University where we were sitting around and uh, this was put together by Dr. Jenny Dyer up at um, Vanderbilt who's just such a wonderful person. It was with an organization called Hope Through Healing Hands that had an, an enormous ministry in the, with third world women to help them uh, find health and to get out of poverty. Um, and as we sat there and had a Q&A time at the end, um, I, I made the observation that this is important work, and I have been supporting that uh, since then. But I said, you know, we have third world conditions right here in our own state, and many people agreed. And that, unfortunately, if you say things like that, it won't leave you alone. So I started thinking about something I could do in retirement. Um, you know, my wife thinks it's a really important thing for me to get out of the house a lot since I retired. And um, so I called together some people and we talked about it. And one night I was having dinner with uh, 
to uh, pediatricians. I, I just had in mind doing something for moms and kids, especially with around the idea of newborns. And when we saw that, you know, Alabama has one of the highest uh, infant mortality rates in the United States, and all of that's related to poverty and and lack of access to health care system. I tried to think of what we could do, and we, we were having dinner, and, and Ann Stafford Borman uh, had just been, uh, you know, had, had just retired from UAB Children's Clinic, and Martha Strange was head of the NICU at uh, Brookwood Hospital, and we were talking, and, and Ann shared a story about a mom she was helping to learn how to read, and she had a flat tire. And she said she was terrified because she was going to be late to her job and she needed help to get that tire fixed because if she lost that job, she would tumble down into a series of disasters because uh, losing a job, losing, you know, cascades into a whole bunch of problems. There are people, so many, just living right on the edge of complete disaster. So we cast about for what we could do. And uh, as we developed what we did, uh, we kept that mother with a flat tire as our patron saint because <laughs> that flat tire was cutting her off from life. And if she only knew where to find somebody that could help her with something. So we began to develop a website and an app that is available for anyone called the Alabama Coalition for Healthy Mothers and Children. And now we've got about 2,000 resources listed on it, faith-based and not-for-profit and public uh, help that's there. And we're working with people in the public sector to help moms and children get off to the best start in life that they can. And lots of people have come along and we've found people that are doing the same thing and we're working more and more to, to do that. It's, it's a joyful thing. Uh, we raise money to operate this site so that it doesn't cost anybody to get on it or to list their organization, and we give it away for people to have on their phone. So, you know, if they're talking to somebody who needs help, they can look it up and call it directly from our site. And we give it away because we want to help people help themselves, help their children to a better life, but not just to help them. And on that, we've got, you know, shelters, food banks, diaper banks, uh, educational resources, counseling, legal help, employment, every imaginable help that we could find. But you don't want people to always be cut off by dependency, but rather to say, now, you're one of us. Here's some things that can help you. There are people that want to help you. Uh, just, just get a step up. The, this is not... Um, giving you free stuff. This is investing in you. That's what I've always said to people when, as a pastor, I help them through the years. Don't consider this, um, you know, like something that, that makes you feel dependent. We think you're worth investing in. We think you belong with us. That's the heart of it, connecting people together. And when you see people as problems or the others or a threat, you'll use them one way. But when they become your neighbor or your fellow citizen or a long-lost relative, the person down the street, you have a whole different way of looking at the world. I think about these Jesus healing stories a lot, and that example is kind of odd to me in recent years that there's so much 
anxiety and anger among religious folk, especially Christian people. Grievances, and we just get kind of lit up about every little thing. It's kind of unimaginable to me that people who claim to follow the story of Jesus, who seem to never get too flapped about any of the anxiety right around him, could act the way we're acting, feeling offended and distressed and suspicious. Jesus was about everything else. Forgiveness, reconciliation, healing, and welcoming back. They're such powerful truths, and especially now when we need them the most. Once you get over the fear enough that you can reach over and put your hand on the shoulder of somebody who hasn't been touched for years, you will find a joy that is immeasurable and genuine community. Well, that's all for today. Join us next time. Have a good one. I'm Gary Furr, and this is the Flat Picking Pilgrim's Progress. Thanks for joining me today. You can find my music at G-A-F-U-R-R, gafur.com, and you can go to my blog site for lots of other information and writings at garyfur.me, G-A-R-Y-F-U-R-R.me. Once again, thank you so much. Join me next time on the Flat Picking Pilgrim's Progress.